we are continuing our journey in looking at um, the purpose that God has for our lives. Um, Today, we're actually going to start on the first of those purposes. Um, Why did God create us? What did God have in mind? What was the whole reasoning behind all of this? And last week, we kind of laid the foundation. We talked about the idea that God loves us, that God actually created us, designed us, um, put a tremendous amount of thought into us. We're not an accident. Um, We are designed and created by him. He knows everything about you. He wants to guide you. He wants to protect you. Um, I talked a little bit about the idea of um, uh, an artist, and I used the illustration of um, glass blowing, which is something that, that I enjoy. And uh, one of the things that happens from time to time is I will get to attend a art, ex- uh, art exhibit. And one of the things that's interesting is if you've ever been in the world of art and you've gone to an art exhibit, you know, you walk around and you look at the different things and you appreciate them. But if you ever get the chance to have the artist there, it adds a whole different dimension to it. Because as they talk about why they used those colors, why they did that design, what was the meaning behind it, all of a sudden what you're looking at takes on a whole new dimension. And as 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 Human beings, we have a unique opportunity in that the one who created us, God, has also interacted with us and explains to us why he's doing what he's doing. So we get a unique opportunity by looking at the word of God to understand why God created us the way he did, what God's at work doing, and we get to, in essence, talk to the artist. So this morning, I want to start, we're going to start with the first purpose, and again, we're in this series, um, uh, What on Earth Am I Here For? We're all reading this devotion book. If you didn't get one, grab one on your way out. There's a daily devotional every day, and so we've all read through it here this week. And then uh, this coming week, you'll be reading what I'm going to be talking about this morning. And uh, then we've been meeting in small groups. We actually have 11 small groups that have been meeting. Uh, throughout the week, uh, everywhere from four to 14 in those groups. So, uh, we've got that going on, uh, during the week as well. We want to wrestle with this idea, what on earth we're we here for. And this morning, we're going to look at the first pur- purpose. And in order to do that, I want to start with the story. The story is in the life of Jesus. It happens to be near the end of his life. It's actually one of the last teaching times in the life of Jesus. And what has happened is, as he comes to this point of this story, there have been a lot of questions that have been hammered at Jesus because they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to find a reason to get rid of him. And so they're playing this game, if you will, of of a hundred questions. And they're trying to find some little crack in his answer to be able to uh, criticize him. So that's where this story picks up. It's in Mark chapter 12. Here's what it says. One of the teachers of the law, this would have been a scribe, talk about that in a second, came and heard them debating. Now, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Now, you need to understand that the person who asked this question is a scribe. The scribe's job was to take the scriptures and put scriptures on one side, on the other side a blank piece of paper, and then transfer them word for word. So in their world, getting everything right was very, very important. Uh, They were meticulous about getting everything exactly. And if you look at um, Hebrew, uh, Hebrew has what we call jots and tittles. Think of it as um, if if there's a letter, it may have like three dots underneath it. And in some cases, the dots may be dot, dot, dot. In some cases, it might be dot, dot, dot. So it was really important to get it all right. The scribe is the one who asked Jesus a question. And it's a legitimate question. Because what you need to understand is at this point in history, the Jewish people had established, they had gone through all the Old Testament, and they had basically taken the Old Testament and, and put everything into what they called 613 commandments. And they said in the Old Testament, if you're going to try to keep the law, there's 613 of them. And they had divided them up. Um, in the positive and negative, there's actually 365 negative ones. And they had divided them into categories of heavy and light. These are really important commandments, and these are kind of a little bit less important. And if you have to choose, you always choose the heavier one over the lighter one. And this was a common debate. So they were always debating this idea of which one is more important. If you have to lie... Or if you have to take someone's life in order to save your own, do you kill or do you lie? Which one outweighs the other one? So they come to Jesus and they figure they can trip him up by asking him what is the greatest commandment. And what he does in this masterful way that only God can do, he throws one at them that they don't have in their list of 613. Now, he starts with, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You need to understand that that was part of the Shema. That was part of the Old Testament that every Jew quoted at least twice a day. So he starts with that. So every Jew would have gone, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your sons. By the way, it's interesting. There is an order. Heart, soul, mind, strength. We start with mind. God starts with heart. But he says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And depending on how you read this, then he, he says, and the second is like unto it. He actually throws them together. They ask one question. He doesn't necessarily give them two answers, but one. <clears throat> because one of the things that you see in Scripture is that it always links, and we'll talk about this next week, it always links love of God and love of other people together. So he looks at him and he says, you want to know what the most important thing is? Love God. Now, those are from the words of Jesus. So one of the first purposes that we see in life is this idea that we have an obligation or responsibility to love God with everything we've got. That was from the words of Jesus. You want to know one of your purposes? Why are you here? One of the reasons you and I are here is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. That's where your purpose has to start. Um, It's said this way in 1 John. We love him 
Why? Because he first loved us. I live by faith, Paul said this to the Galatian people, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, look, we talked about this last week. God loved you. God created you. God designed you. God had a plan and a purpose for you. Because God did that, one of the things that you and I need to do is love God. He said, all right, so let's talk about this for a second. How do you love God? What does that look like? I didn't check this with my wife, so I'm going to get in trouble, but um, this is about 1980 or 1981. We are, I'm 20, about 20 years old. She's 21. Marry an older woman. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Uh, But I mean, so she's a little older than I am. Um, Easy X, that happened to be, you would call it a fraternity we had societies there, Epsilon, Zeta, Chi. That was my, the group that I was in. So this was an outing that we had together. Um, this is when we started dating early in our deal. You go, you look like children. Yes, we do. Uh, yeah, we do. And uh, this is what we started at in, uh, almost 40 years ago. We married 39 years this year. Uh, so let me tell you about our world at this point, Okay. Uh, at this point in our world, uh, I thought the world revolved around her. I was taking it. She was not that impressed with me at the beginning. Okay. Uh, in fact, we met at a dinner one night. I was sitting next to her, and she was interested in some other guy at the table. But I was so loud and obnoxious that I didn't let her talk to him. Um, and then I just, here's the way it worked. I just wore her down, okay? That's the way it worked. And I continued. We dated for about three years till we got engaged. And uh, in, the, in the place that we were at, the school we were at, uh, we then started dating. Now, those of you who are younger, teenagers, college kids, this is before cell phones, Okay, this is actually almost before computers, actually. Computers were just coming in. Uh, we were still typing out our, our reports and our, our papers and all of that. But um, when we, so back then when we dated, uh, if we wanted to call each other, we didn't have cell phones. So you actually had to go to this thing that hung on a wall and had a long cord attached to it. So you couldn't go any further than the cord when you were talking to somebody. Um, and, and we shared, uh, we couldn't really call from, because of the, the phone system at the school we were at, you couldn't really call from room to room. Um, so we didn't do a lot of calling. And we did write a lot of letters. We wrote letters every night back and forth to each other. That's what we would do. And here's what I found. I was so in love with her that I wanted, I thought about her all the time. And I wanted to try to find opportunities to run into her. Now, she worked at the bookstore in the Lost and Found. It was like this closet thing. And it was amazing how many times I found myself walking past the bookstore in order to maybe see her at work. Um, And then after dinner at night, I would walk her back to her dorm and we would talk. And and in in, in the place that we went to school... um, you did a lot of talking, um, and that was about it. Uh, and so the guys weren't allowed to visit the girls' dorms and all that kind of thing, so they had, it's called the snail trail. 
And um, what you do is you would take this, uh, I don't know, probably, it was maybe a 100-yard walk back to the dorm, and it would take you like 35 minutes. Because uh, you just walked, everybody walked like this. Because you know, once you got to the dorm, it was over. Uh, and then you wouldn't get to see her until the next day. So anyway, so and what I did was I found myself kind of consumed with her, thinking about her. Um, and uh, time just kind of went away. didn't matter. I got to see Jean. I got to talk to Jean. Uh, we would write each other. So um, <laughs> I actually found one of her letters to me. You know I didn't clear this. Uh, this was written August 7, 1983, so here's the deal. Um, I had graduated from college. She was in Virginia. Um, I had graduated from college. I stayed at the school and worked to make money because uh, we were. I was going to move to Virginia, and then we were going to get married. We, already been, we got engaged in, like, June of 83, and then um, I had stayed there, so we hadn't seen each other for a while, and then... Um, I was going to be coming to Virginia in a week, and then we were going to get married in about three months from then. So, anyway, my dear Jim, I'm not reading all of this, okay? Um, <laughs> but I'll sell you the copies afterward. Now, um, honey, I can hardly believe it's almost all over. The separation has been good for us, though would you believe... Uh, we would have never realized um, what you had if you hadn't had the ensemble trip. I was gone for six months traveling with a touring group, and through that we learned to try to have a relationship with some distance. And she said, um, uh, acquired this summer uh, knowing yourself. And think how much uh, more we will appreciate each other now that we can be together. I think it's been good for us experiencing... Um, I think it's been a good experience. But 561 days is enough. How did we do that? Only the Lord could have pulled us through like he did. Uh, He must have something really special for us to teach us so much for so long. I'm excited about learning more and more as we spend uh, my life with you. See? Um, This is what it was like when it started. Now, teenagers, hear me. It is so much better now. This is what we thought it was going to be like. We now have 40 years of experience behind us, almost 40 years of experience behind us. And here's what I will tell you. I love her more today than I did here. And here, I thought I loved her a lot. But what has happened is, over time, we have continued to develop our relationship. We've continued to love each other, which is what it should be. And when we talk about loving God, it's no different. Go back to when you were in elementary school. Remember elementary school? Now, I don't know what kids do today, but back then, here's what we did. When you, when you, when you liked a girl... I would, I would send a note. Do you like me? Circle yes or no. <laughs> and you would send it to her, and then you would just watch her all afternoon in class, hoping that she would circle yes and send it back to you. Remember that? 
I, I don't know what kids do now, you know. Uh, it's probably all emojis, and you've got to decipher it and then figure out what, which yes is and what no. I don't know. But uh, it, it, this is the idea. Remember those days? Why? Because they had reached out and said, I like you. Do you like me? When we talk about loving God, that's what we're talking about. God has reached out and said, I love you. Here's what I've done for you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Because I have reached out and shown you my love. Listen to what he says. He says it this way. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you were so far from God, God said, I love you. When you were the ugliest you could ever be as far as your sin, God said, I love you. You know the verse, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. When God reaches out to you and says, do you love me? And you say yes. He says, you are now part of my family. But you have to accept it. You're the one that has to say yes. You're the one that has to circle yes and send it back. He's done everything he can do. We talked about this last week. God loves you. And God wants you to love him. That's your first purpose. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So how do I do that? Again, I go back to the illustration of my wife. First thing I do is what? I focused on her. Constantly. How in the world can I run into her today? And it was a God thing because I happened to be an aisle usher, and, and we had chapel every day, and so my wife just happened. There's 5,000 people on campus. She just happened to be assigned my aisle, which meant that every day she had to walk past me. Okay? That's how you wear her down. Okay? And I wore her down. So not only am she will tell you, she thought I was obnoxious at the beginning. Um, we're not going to go about what she thinks now. We're just going to leave it at that, okay? <clears throat> but I'm sitting there, and, and, I'm, and she thought I was just way over the top at, at, at supper. And she's thinking, I, you know, okay, well, we're only assigned those tables for so long. And then she comes up, and she's walking down my aisle every day. It's like, I cannot get away from this guy, um, no matter what I do. And so, <clears throat> so again, I had God on my side. Uh, so... That was the thing. That's the way that, but, but I did everything I could to focus on her. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to write her at night. Even when I didn't have time to write her at night, I found time to write her at night. I wanted to write her, even if I didn't need to go by it. Now, if I was smart, what I would have done is every week I would have lost something so that I'd have to go to Lost and Found when she was working and get it from her. Uh, but I wasn't that smart back then. So, the idea is you, you focus on Listen to what John says. Here's how he says it. He says it this way. We know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect or mature or complete in love. That's what John says. Look, <clears throat> you saw this play out in the pandemic. 
your family, probably much like ours, really struggled with some issues. When this whole thing started, there were a lot of unknowns. We didn't know who to believe. We didn't know who to listen to. We didn't know who was telling the truth. We didn't know what the truth was. So there's a lot of confusion. And Satan loves that. That's his world. And so there's a lot of confusion, a lot of fear, a lot of kinds of issues. With it. And I know in our own family, we had to deal with this because my mom was in an assisted living facility. <clears throat> and um, when they finally started getting a little bit of a handle on it, they started letting people go out and leave the facility. We had to deal with this because my sister and her family all lived there. And it was not uncommon every week for my mom to go over and, and, and be with the family at some point during the week, every week. And, of course, with the pandemic, she wasn't able to do that. And we were starting to see that take a toll on, on her, being isolated from family. So my sister and I started talking about what we can do and how we can handle it and stuff like that. And so I asked Cindy, I said, look, I said, here's the deal. I said, if mom comes and visits you guys and she ends up with COVID and ends up taking your life, I said, my question is this. I said, is your family going to be okay with that? If, if, if one of the grandkids or one of the kids or you or, or David give mom COVID and she dies from it, are you going to be okay with that? Are you going to beat yourself up with guilt? And he said, no, we're okay with that. So then we had a discussion with her mom. I said, mom, I said, look, <clears throat> I said, here's the thing. I said, there's a risk. This is risk reward. I said, there's a very real possibility that you could get COVID from one of the grandkids or great grandkids or uh, Cindy or David or being out. And I said, and if you got it, and if it took your life, are you okay with that? Here's what my mom said. She said, you know what? If I have to continue to live like this, isolated, she said, no. She said, this is not what I want. She says, a Christian, I love God. I know what's going to happen when I die. I'm not worried about dying. She said, I love my family. And if I have to, if, if, if loving my family, if, if the choice means I get to be with my family, even if it takes my life, I love them enough that I'm okay with that risk. And I said, as long as everybody's on the same page, we are all good. Here's the point. Her love for being with her family overshadowed her fear of getting COVID and possibly dying. And she had to make that decision. And my sister and her family had to make the decision. They were okay with their love for her, even if it cost her life. The issue was this. Love is what drove out fear. By the way, so you understand, that's what's happening right now in our culture. We are in a fear-driven culture. We're constantly getting you to try to be afraid of the next thing. Rising gas prices, inflation, the war, uh, COVID. All, in other words, the media is just continually pumping you full of stuff to be afraid of. And here's what happened. When you're driven by fear... The natural result of living in fear is you cannot live in love. If you cannot live in love, then what happens? You respond in anger. So what do we have? We have a culture right now that is incredibly angry. And you're finding it everywhere. You do something wrong, somebody's ready to jump down your throat about it. You step out of line or you can't do what you said. Da, 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 da. Why? Everybody, because we are driven by fear as a culture right now. That's why this is so important. When, what, what he's saying here is when you learn to love God, when you learn to live in love, 
Fear is something that starts to go away. <coughs> fear of what's going to happen next, fear of the war, fear of all, all those kinds of things start to be pushed aside because here's why. You realize God loves you. You realize that God cares about you. You realize that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay because God's in control. He's the creator. He's the designer. He's the one who knows what's going on. The other thing is, what happens is when you, when you really learn to accept God's love, when you really learn to focus on it, what happens is a natural byproduct of it is this. You start to serve out of love. Because as you learned this week, it's not about you. It's about God. So you're going, what? Read your book. All right? Read your book. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about God. So what happens is, as you're going through this thing, you all of a sudden start, just like what happened to us. When I became so focused on this young lady, it consumed everything. My thoughts. I wanted to know how I could run into her. I wanted to know how. <clears throat> it's embarrassing now, but I'll tell you the story because um, my wife and I joke about it to this day. But she graduated a year before I did, so she was teaching. She had money. I was a poor, starving college student. Uh, and she was coming down to visit me for a weekend. So she's coming down to visit me, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to take her out. We're going to go out. And I don't remember where we went, but it wouldn't have been someplace really, really expensive because I didn't have any money. But I did have laundry change. So I took all of my change for laundry, and I put it in my pocket. Okay? So now here she comes, okay? She comes, gets out of her car. I walk up with a, like this. And she goes, what's going on? I said, well, I got money so we can go out. She's like, put that away. You are not going out with me looking like that. I said, I got all my change out of my pocket and put it back in my dorm. So she said, I will take care of our, our date thing. And we joke out because, you know, I, at that point, I didn't care. I didn't care what I looked like. I, didn't care. I got to take her out. And if that meant I was going to spend all my laundry money to do it, that's what it meant. Why? Because I loved her. I wanted to do something for her. I wanted to serve her. When you love somebody, that's what you do. You, you serve them. You think of ways to make their life better, to make their life easier, to do things for them. In our house, um, because my schedule can be a little more flexible, um, uh, and her schedule is a whole lot more rigid, uh, I do the grocery shopping in our house. Okay? Uh, a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm far more efficient at it than she is. Um, <laughs> I literally can leave my house, get all the grocery shopping done, and be back in my garage in an hour and a half. Um, I have this thing down so fast uh, because I don't diddly-dally at stuff like foo, 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 foo. Now, when they go and mess with the aisle placement of stuff, it really messes me up. So I'm still trying to get over that. But anyway, I'm getting better at it. So anyway, so I, I, I can do that. Here's what I, here's what I realized. You know what flowers cost at Walmart? Five bucks. Four ninety-seven. So for about the last, I don't know, I don't know how long. Um, I don't know what year or so, I guess now. I'm like, well, she's worth five bucks. So I grab flowers every time once a week. 
once a week. So all for the last year or so, there's, I figure a couple things. First of all, I figure my granddaughter's coming to the house. She needs to understand grandpa loves Nana, and this is a good example for her. My, wife, my wife's not a big flower person, <coughs> but it's not about the flowers. It's about the idea that I thought about her. Um, only five bucks worth, but I thought about her. Uh, <coughs> and here's what, I, here, here's what I've come to realize. I've come to realize that just that simple act, every week communicates to her, I, I'm thinking about you. You go, well, I'm doing the math in my head. $5 times 52 is $250 a year on flowers. You realize you're spending $260 a year on flowers? I'll tell you this. That's less than you will spend with one hour with a divorce attorney. So you do that math in your head, okay? Uh, Why? Because it's an opportunity for me to say, I love you, I'm thinking about you, here's flowers. Why? It's about, so if I get the chance, you know, there's a couple times I've gone and, and I've been in town and I'm like, you know, it's really cold, she doesn't need to be filling up the gas. I've gone over, jumped in her car, filled it up, taken it back, taken it over and gotten it washed, bring it back for her. She's, she's a nut when it comes to got to have this clean car thingy. Um, and, and, and it's like, you know what, I've got the time. I will do that for you. I do it because I love her. And I can serve her. And that's the same way with God. I, I don't serve God to check all the boxes. I don't come home and say, okay, honey, you know, check, I got you flowers this week. Check, I put gas in your car. Are you paying attention to everything I'm doing for you? Now, where's my list? It's not what it's about. It's about because I love her, I want to do things to make her life easier. I want to do things that bring her joy. I want to do things that that bring her pleasure. I want to do those things. Why? Because I love her. It's exactly the way that we serve God. Sunday morning is not some checkbox that I go, went to church this week, God. I do it because I love him, and I can learn more about him, and I can encourage somebody. We'll talk about that next week. It's that, it's that idea. I spend time with him in a devotional thing. Why? Because I learn more about him. Just like when, when, when my wife and I, from time to time, well, I, you know, well, honey, what do you think about this? Do you like this? you enjoy this? Do you know what her favorite flower is? Do you know what her favorite food is? Do you know what her favorite restaurant is? And you go, well, what about the, guy, the women doing it? I'm not a gal, so I don't relate, right? I'm just talking to the guys because I know we're really bad at this. Why? Because I love her. And it's the same way with my God. Because I love him. Listen to what John says. As the Father has, this is Jesus speaking. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my life. Just as I've kept my Father's command and remain in his love. He said, look, you've watched me. You have watched me as I've gone through my life, and I have loved my Father by doing what my Father wanted me to do, by, by pleasing him with all that I say and all that I do and all the places I go. That has been my, my motive for everything I've done. That's what you guys need to go and do. I think one of the most startling implications of the life of Jesus comes to his followers, his disciples. When you look at the life of Jesus, 
you got to realize these guys followed him and they tried to mimic what he was doing and they tried to, to do the kinds of things that he was doing and act in the ways that he was acting. And one of the most interesting statements in the New Testament is this. When the world looked at the disciples, you know what the one thing they saw above anything else? Love. They could not believe that this group of people loved each other the way they did. And when you look at that ragtag group of people, let me tell you something. You need to understand, the fact that they loved and trusted Matthew, who was a tax collector, tells you everything you need to know about how far they had extended this idea of love. But when the world looked at him, they said, I'm amazed at how they love. That's the thing that stands out. That's the thing that I can't get over. Listen, that's what we want to be. Because when you're surrounded by a world that's living in fear, you're surrounded by a world that's living in paranoia, you're surrounding a world that's critical and negative and everything else, the one thing that shines brighter than anything else is the opposite of fear, which is love. And when they see a group of people here who love each other. We put aside all of our stuff. We put aside the politics. We put aside um, academics. We put aside all of that. And we just go, you know what? We're just going to love you as you are. And then when we take that and we go out into the world and we love the world without any reservation, that person in the office that everybody else doesn't want anything to do with, we love them. And we try to help them when we have opportunities. We try to show God's love, and we're going to talk about this next week, because it's an outgrowth of once you learn to love God, once you accept God's love, once you focus on God's love, you automatically will deal with other people accordingly. And one of our purposes is we start with the idea of loving God. And we want to love God in such a way that anyone who looks at our life says, you know what, they're kookier than a $3 bill. But I know they love me, and I know they care about me, and I know they do anything for me. Because at some point, they're going to come up against a life crisis, and they're going to turn to somebody. And in that moment, nine times out of ten, you will be the person they're talking to. Because they know you love, and the reason you love is because you love God. Because he first loved you. So as we head into this, I think it's easy because there's some people here this morning, let's talk about the week. There's some people here you've never accepted that love. Just say yes. Oh, but you don't know how. Just say yes. Just yes. My wife had no idea what she was signing up for. She just said yes. And that's all we needed. That's all we needed to start our life together, is her to say yes. And when she said yes, when I said, will you marry me? And she said yes. That's what I needed. That's what I needed to start this incredible journey. And that's all you need with God, is to say yes to what he has offered. That's the first step. Some of you here this morning, you have said yes, but here's the bottom line. You've gotten away from it. You've kind of gotten away from that 
love relationship um, that you should have for God. You, you've started taking God for granted. You've started becoming more selfish in your prayers. About It's about what you're going through and not about how you can impact God and his kingdom. You started to get the idea that you want people to serve you. It's just like in a relationship. You get in trouble when you focus on you. It's not about you. It's about God. And so for some of you, you've just gotten away from that. You say, what do I do? When the Apostle John wrote to the church at Ephesus, this is what had happened. They had genuinely loved God at one point, and they had gotten away from it. And it's interesting because he gives them a checklist of things to do. One of the things that he says is remember your first love. In other words, go back to where you started. And for some of you, go back. You know, if your marriage is struggling right now, go back to doing some of the things you did when you started your marriage off. Back when you were dating. That's why, you know, I'm a big fan of continue to date your wife. You know, continue to be, especially if you have kids. Especially if you've got kids. Get a babysitter. Go do something together as a couple. Because one time you're going to come to a point where your kids are gone and it's going to be just the two of you again, and you don't want to be there with a the stranger. So, you, you know, I, I love my kids. I love my grandkids. And I am glad when they walk out of the house because it's just my wife and I. Because we love being together. We love be, spending time together. We don't have to do anything necessarily. We just got to be together in the same room. It's awesome. And I want to challenge you because it's the same way with God. You've got to get back to what it is the way that you started, and then you repent. Repent's just a fancy word of saying change direction. What you're doing is not working, so don't keep doing the same thing. That's silly. Change what you're doing. You're so busy you don't have time for other people in your relationship, then you change that. You get back to the idea of, you know what, you don't, you, you're not spending time with God, then you get, change it. Head a different direction. Try something different. Then get back to that idea. He talks about the idea of return to your, to your first love. The idea is that you, you listen, you go back to what was happening. Do, do you remember when you, you remember how exciting it was to see her? Oh, you're talking about like the hearty thing and all the emotion thing. And I'm a guy, I don't do the emotion thing. It's interesting to me, when God talks about loving God, he starts with the heart, not the mind. He starts with the heart. And what I would say is, get back to some of those things. Remember what you were doing when you were first Christian, early Christian, young Christian? Get back to some of those things. Get back, learn. Grow. You know, if, you, if it's not working, you, you find another way to do it. And I, and I want to challenge you because some of you have gotten away from that and it's become old and it's become routine and it's become mundane. And that's the last thing you want as a child of God. Just like it's the last thing you want in your marriage. You say, what, are you just saying we should be like madly in love with each other? Yes. I am. I am. Because it's important. My kids, my grandkids, they, those of you who are young parents, let me tell you something. The greatest gift you can give your kids is two parents trying to outlove and outserve each other every day. They will never forget that. And I want to challenge you with that because, listen, you know, it's the same thing. The greatest gift I can give is when they see a, 
a, a dad, grandpa, father, whatever you want to call it, pastor, whatever, madly in love with God, wanting to please God with my life. Not to check off a bunch of boxes. Not to jump through a bunch of hoops. But because I genuinely love Nobody's checking off the box to say, did you bring your wife flowers this week? Yeah, I did. Um, I did. The only reason I did is because I remember the ones that were in the vase were dying. And it's like, okay, it's time to get a new one. And now I'm buying purple ones because Clara's favorite color is purple. Um, but, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's a simple thing. It's a little thing, but the little things add up. And there's some of you that, honestly, you're growing and you're learning and you're in love with God, and, and that is growing. Here, here's my challenge to you. Be careful. There's nothing that Satan wants more than to stop that. And he'll do everything in his power to get you to live by fear. He'll get you everything in his power to get you to focus on other stuff. Set up some boundaries, set up some flags, set up some protection so that Satan can't get his foot in the door as easily in some of those areas. And continue to love him. And hopefully, over time, your love will just continue to grow and grow and grow. And one day, in my case, 40 years later, when I read this letter, I look at it and go, this didn't even scratch the surface. Because our love now has been battle-tested. This is kind of a fantasy world. It's a good fantasy world, but it's a fantasy world. You go through some of the things that my wife and I have been through in our journey, good, bad, and ugly, and you're still together, and you're still trying to out-love and out-serve each other. That's a whole different level of love. When you go through some tough life things, and you can still love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind, it's a whole different level of love. And you want to serve him passionately because you know he genuinely loves you. So I end this morning with this. You were made to love God. Genuine worship involves loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God demonstrated his love to you. And he wants a response from you. Love him. And share that love with someone else this week. Let's pray. Lord, use us. Help us. Easy to talk about, hard to do when we get into the daily uh, grind of life. It's easy sometimes to forget that, Lord, you do love us and we do need to love you back in all that comes into our lives. So use us. Lord, may a world that lives in fear see your love uh, demonstrated and worked out in our lives. And we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise since we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.